Hello, this is Morgan Greenstreet. I'm a producer at Afropop Worldwide. We at Afropop are proud to be on public radio stations across the nation, and we've been on public radio for 30 years, bringing you music and stories from Africa and the African diaspora. For the past few years, we've also been developing unique content for our digital podcast platform, which is distributed by PRI. In 2016, with funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities, we launched the Afropop Close-Up podcast series. Our talented and curious producers tell these stories in their own words, going beyond the music into politics, religion, and culture. We just kicked off our second season of the Afropop Close-Up podcast on September 5th, so be sure to subscribe to Afropop Worldwide on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or simply go to afropop.org or pri.org to listen. We'll deliver a new close-up podcast every other Tuesday for the rest of the year. In this season, we'll hear intimate stories of the struggles and triumphs of human life in Rwanda, Nigeria, Haiti, the Bahamas, and the African diasporas of Greece, the UK, Paris, New York, and San Francisco. To celebrate the launch of the second Afropop close-up season, we want to share some of our favorite stories from season one, on our radio platform as well. On today's program, we'll hear about the plight of Haitian radio stations in New York, a unique transnational collaboration, and the surprising resurgence of UK grime music. But first, here's our host, Georges Collinet. Thanks, Morgan. Can't wait to listen to this season of Afropop Close-Up Podcast. Okay. Let's start this off with producer Ian Koss on the street in Flatbush, Brooklyn. If you're in Flatbush, Brooklyn, standing on the corner of Nostrand Ave and Beverly Road, and you're looking south, you should see a bold blue awning that says Radio Panu. It blends right in with the beauty salons and takeout spots, but it's there, broadcasting around the clock. Now turn around. Down past a row of stoops, you might just make out a sign advertising another station called Radio Soleil. Head in the opposite direction, and you'll pass by Radio Triomphs. Finally, power on your pocket transistor radio, and you might just pick up Radio Independence. But as far as the federal government is concerned, not one of these stations has its own officially licensed frequency. And if you're wondering how exactly that works, good. I was wondering the same thing. There was something called the, uh, the transistor revolution. That's Rico Dupuy. He's the director of Radio Soleil. And for him, the significance of Haitian radio is really about politics. Remember, the Duvalier reign lasted 30 years. You had Duvalier the father, Papa Doc, and Duvalier the son, the Baby Doc. You feel his menace in the pit of your stomach. You hear his presence in the silence of his subjects. Papa Doc, Dr. Francois Duvalier, spiritual leader and president. To give you an example of how brutal this dictatorship was, when Duvalier's father died, and it was on the radio, 
But even though it was an official announcement, people could not say it for fear of appearing that you're enjoying it. So therefore, people would go to people's ears and whisper, do you, do you know that Duvalia died? That tells you exactly what was happening at that time. So it was the, the silence of the tomb. But eventually, Haitians began to agitate. And radio was one of the means to do that. So people had radio hidden in the kitchen, in the bed, the bathroom, you know what I'm saying? So people would go under the bed and listen to some radio programs to listen to words of, of hope about one day ending this nightmare. Even though Haiti was very poor, people were saving their money to buy the little radio. In Dupuis' view, that experience is at the root of Haitians' love of radio. But there is more to the story. This is an island of mountainous terrain and poor infrastructure. So television and newspapers aren't really accessible to much of the public. At the same time, turntables and CD players, they're expensive. But almost every Haitian today has access to radio. The political instability and poverty that have made radio so important in Haiti have also pushed Haitians to immigrate to the United States. The first large influx began in the mid-1960s. And among those early arrivals was a young man named Lionel Legros. Fast forward, I started the radio show September 1969. It was the first Haitian radio program anywhere in the country. One hour, once a week on WKCR, the student station at Columbia University. And we were actually openly attacking the government which was unheard of because doing politics in New York at that time was about meeting in the basement and applauding uh, with some ex-general or some ex-president who would get big meetings. And we just came out openly and attacking the government. You know, it's like a call. It's something that I had to do and I did it. The show became a kind of weekly ritual for many in the city's growing Haitian community, something they set their alarm clocks for. It was the one hour of the week when they could hear their native language and familiar songs played live on the air. But that was it. There was no full-time Haitian radio station anywhere in the country. There was demand, but no license. One of the key fundamental principles of media regulation with regard to broadcasting is that in order to do it, you have to get a license from the government. This is John Anderson. He's an assistant professor of broadcast journalism at Brooklyn College, and he's working on a book about radio regulation. And in order to get the license from the government and keep it, you have to demonstrate that you're serving what they call the public interest, convenience, or necessity. That phrase, the public interest, convenience, and necessity, it dates back to the 1920s, when the federal government first began regulating radio communication. The problem is, it was never well-defined. 
And from its founding, the new Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, was being lobbied by the major radio networks to carve out frequencies, what we now call clear channels, for their high-powered stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That sound is heard more often by more people than any other sound in America. Pulsing out from the transmitter tower into the tubes and coils behind your radio dial. To this day, the high-powered transmissions of networked stations still dominate the middle of the radio dial, with college and public radio stations crowded in the lower frequencies. In this environment, it is virtually impossible for a station serving a small ethnic community to secure its own FM license. But as John Anderson explains... The licensing requirement is not inviolable, meaning there's been a whole history of people that have taken to the air without one. And for Haitian broadcasters today, there are two ways this is done. One of them is perfectly legal. It's called a subcarrier station. Jeffrey Joseph, the operations manager at Radio Panu, explained how it works. So you have a station, let's say like 101.9 Light FM. They broadcast throughout the tri-state area. So what happens is um, they sell a radio, they put a special chip in it, where wherever Light FM 101.9 goes, they are able to listen to our station too, but they need to buy the radio from us. In the station's front office, there are boxes of radios for sale each one modified to pick up their signal. Now, these subcarrier frequencies are not regulated, but Panu does have to pay a fee to their host station, and the sound quality is still not as good as regular FM radio. Just down the street, Radio Soleil has taken the same approach. While a standard radio tuned to 97.9 will pick up Latin hits, a modified receiver will get Haitian politics and compa music. Of course, the other option for Haitian broadcasters is to simply set up their own low-power transmitters, what is sometimes called pirate radio. This approach, as you can probably guess from the name, is not legal. But in big cities like New York, Miami, and Boston, Pirate stations are a fixture on the radio dial. Radio Independence is just a few blocks from Panu and Soleil, but it isn't advertised on the street. First, you enter through a brightly lit storefront, then pass through a back door to a room lined with computers, then through another back door that opens into a cramped studio. The walls are painted red with a few patches of plaster. A ceiling fan turns slowly, casting shadows from a single fluorescent bulb. Three men sit around a high table, one of whom manages a small mixer linked to a rack of audio equipment. One of the hosts, Jacques Dorville, explained later how the station operates using a frequency that's licensed to a nearby college. A 90.9 belongs to them, and this is for a college. And afternoon, the college closed, so we can use it from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So by night, we entertain our community. 
I think they tolerate that. <laughs> We're not sincere. <laughs> well, not everyone tolerates it. Independence has been criticized in the news and on social media for interfering with WFMU, an independent station in Jersey City that broadcasts just two clicks away at 91.1. But despite these complaints, regulators haven't attempted to shut down Independence for some time. We still need to hide the transmitter. But uh, not as it used to be before. I put it on the boat or in the van, traveling all over the city, you know, to do not get catch. So it's not that kind of fight anymore. But still, nobody knows where is the transmitter. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know. But even as he accepts the station's illegal status, Dorville is not the self-righteous pirate that you might expect. Right now, he just doesn't see any other options. And then the fact that we know that we are not legal, you don't feel okay with that. Illegal. Nobody likes to be illegal, you know. Nobody works for money over here. We don't work for money. We just want to keep our community connected. So how much they're going to ask us to pay for that? Stations like Independence are controversial. And the debate doesn't break neatly along ethnic or party lines. Pirate stations can undercut the advertising rates of the subcarriers like Panu and Soleil. And when they do cause interference, it's with other low-power community stations, not the major networks. When I asked Jeffrey Joseph at Panu what he thought the FCC should do, he didn't hesitate. What they mainly need to do is do a crackdown on pirate radios. Do you feel like those pirate stations are filling a legitimate need in the community? Do you see any way that they could be brought into the legal system? Obviously, uh, people listen to them, so I guess they are filling a legitimate needs. But I think what they really need to do is organize and legalize themselves, because then they'll feel the pain. Because like when I ask for somebody for a thousand dollars and you do it for two hundred, because it's not because that we're trying to rob anybody, it's because we have a lot of bills to pay. One of the reasons why they are pirate radios is because they are trying to avoid that type of responsibility. Meanwhile, John Anderson, the radio scholar from earlier, he'd also like to see these stations become legal. Not by cracking down on pirates and forcing them to play by the rules, but by changing the rules. It's not like the airwaves can't handle these stations being on the air. The capacity for the FM dial to support these stations is pretty robust. It's the laws and the policies and the paradigms that we've set up about what it means to have access to the airwaves and what an FM channel means. And we're in the 21st century. Radio's coming up on its 100th anniversary broadcasting. Why don't we think differently about this? What is clear is that the demand for Haitian radio on American airwaves is not going away. And stations will find a way on the air with or without a license. I met a man named David Kanje, who said four transmitters confiscated already. Short of putting him in jail, there isn't anything the FCC can do to make him stop broadcasting. Radio is just too important. If there is something that I like in my life, it's called radio. This is now blood, man. You go to Haiti, so many radio stations. Caraïbe FM, Kiskeya FM, Scoop FM. So many. We love radio, I think. We love it. 
Thank you, Ian. That was Haitian Radio on American Airwaves from producer Ian Koss. Now, let's head to Accra, Ghana with producer Morgan Greenstreet. I'm sitting in a communal bus taxi called the Trotro, and we're stuck in traffic. I'm crammed up against the other passengers. I'm dripping with sweat. The latest Azonto hits blast on the stereo. I'm on my way to a neighborhood called Jowulu to witness the birth of a new project, a rare musical meeting between musicians from Ghana and neighboring Burkina Faso, if we ever get there, that is. collaboration between the Burkina Bay rapper Art Melody, who hails from Ouagadougou, and Ghanaian musician Stivo Atambire from Bolgatanga in the neighboring Upper East region of Ghana. When I finally arrive at Last Chance Studios, the duo are taking a break from recording this very song. The theme, perhaps unsurprisingly, is unity among peoples, despite artificial borders. Uh, Okay. That's Art Melody. He's more comfortable speaking with me in French, the colonial language of Burkina Faso. He's wearing a baggy t-shirt, jeans, and a fitted cap. Fashion-wise, he'd fit right in at a hip-hop show in the Bronx, but his face is weathered by the sun of the Sahel. Okay. Stevo's shirtless, his hair's in dreadlocks, and he's casually riffing on a wooden string instrument with a small gourd resonator. I come from the Upper East region of Ghana, and I play traditional music. And the name of my instrument that I play is Kualago. Kualago. 
The kologo is a one or two string instrument from the north of Ghana. The Frafra people play it, but it's also present in, uh, in Burkina. That's Benjamin Lebrave, a Franco-American producer who runs Last Chance Studios and Aquaba Music, a label and distribution network based in Accra. He's the one who brought Art Melody and Stevo together across national, linguistic, and stylistic boundaries. The Frafra and Moray are sufficiently close so that the artist can actually communicate. Their culture is actually very close. This instrument, even though it you know, has slightly different size and different melodies, it exists on both sides of the border. And maybe I should let the listeners know that this border between Ghana and Burkina is like, it might as well be a one kilometer high wall. It seems like there's no, at least no cultural communication whatsoever. You never hear of a collaboration between Ghanaian and, and Burkinabe musicians and the main obstacle supposedly being language. Um, so in this case, it's like, well, there's no language barrier because they speak the same language. Against War, from the duo now known as Mabisi, which means brothers from the same mother in both Frafra and More. They released their debut album in June 2016, but these guys are already young veterans in their respective scenes. Stevo got his start in Accra, playing with the Kologo star King Aisoba before joining One Love the Kubalor's Afro-Gypsy band and then recording his own Kologo pop. Meanwhile, Art Melody has enjoyed quite a bit of success in the underground hip-hop world, releasing three albums through the French label Tentacule Records, 
distributed by Aquaba. This project is a departure for both artists. So how did it come about? This collaboration is really a special project for me, Art Melody told me. I've always wanted to meet an instrumentalist like Steve-O. There are a lot of artists in Burkina Faso who make music based on the Kologo instrument. My mother used to listen to that music a lot. But I encountered hip-hop at school, and I've always done hip-hop. I went to Ouagadougou a couple times to meet with Art Melody, and, and the idea came really, I was on the back of his bike, it was a motorcycle in, in Ouaga, and the guy literally freestyles all the time. <laughs> if you're not watching him, you turn around, he's freestyling by himself. But I, I call it freestyling, which makes it sound very hip-hop, but actually he's just rhyming or kind of singing, sometimes in a nonchalant, kind of almost hypnotical way. And, you know, as the days went by, we talked and talked and talked, I realized that he had an interest in not only pursuing what is kind of hardcore hip-hop or old-school, you know, kind of boom-bap hip-hop, but also more acoustic, maybe in a way more traditional stuff. Enter Stevo, who is well-versed in the traditional repertoire of the Kologo, yet also attuned to hip-hop and Ghanaian pop music, sometimes called Hip Life. Very nice to collaborate with this guy, because this guy, they sing like Hip Life, but Burkina side. The kind of music they do is traditional, it's like traditional pop. Song like that, it sounds as my own traditional music. The music Art Melody and Stevo make together is not exactly traditional music. I don't like to call it traditional because a lot of stuff that people might consider traditional, in fact, is not traditional. It just retains something that's specific to one area. So the korogo is specific to one area. The way of singing is specific to one area. You could say it's traditional, but the way, if you listen to this project and if you play it for old people, they'd be like, wow, this is revolutionary. If you play it for a hip hop head, if they're, you know, <laughs> abstract enough, they might think, actually, this is hip hop. There's no boom, you know, there's no kick and snare, but it's still hip hop. So I really see this project as a perfect union of two worlds that, at least in people's minds, are always very, very far removed from each other.
That was Awine, a praise song, a prayer for unity. Back at Last Chance Studios, work is over for the day because the electricity's been cut. Power outages, locally known as Dumso, are disturbingly frequent in Accra these days. We're in a dark room with no electricity. <laughs> so lately in Ghana, 12 out of every 36 hours, there's no power. So, which is horrible, but also pretty awesome because it's so predictable now that you can actually work around it. So today we knew we had light until 6, so we worked. Tomorrow's the same. Thursday there's light off from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so we know, you know, we'll rehearse instead of record. <laughs> Despite the light off, Stevo is still playing Kologo. He sets up a riff, and both artists start freestyling on a theme, singing minus me to their troubles, plus me to success, money, and health. Hey, hey, hey. This be how I pray. Pray with me. In the Lord of Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Ayo, uh-huh. tell them. Year of troubles, year of problems, year of troubles. Manos me. Year of problems. Manos me. Year of sickness. Manos me. Death. Manos me. Ebola go kill some. Manos me. AIDS go kill some. Manos me. Abatazi go kill some. Manos me. Ah, join this. Manos me. Eh? Typhoid. Manos me. Malaria, manos me. Cholera, manos me. Coco, manos me. <laughs> manos me. We say that in Mapusala, a calamam basilwe. Now we say that in Mapusala, a calamam basilwe. Now we say that in Mapusala, a calamam basilwe. Now we say that in Mapusala, a calamam basilwe. You are progress. Year of success, last me. Year of progress, last me. Year of success, last me. Plenty money, last me. American dollar, last me. UK euro, last me. UK pounds, last me. UK pounds, last me. Nigeria naira, last me. Ghana city, last me. Frenchman safe, last me. Hey yo, that's Mabisi live from Last Chance Studios, Jowulu, Accra. These guys like to have fun. But there's a tangible current of anger that runs through their music. Many of the songs on the album criticize politicians and comment on the current unstable socio-political situations in West Africa and around the world. We'll leave you with their boldest statement. Parliament, which calls out the educated class for using politics for self-enrichment instead of using the skills they train for to serve the people. Small girls. I'm up for the holler, no money for 
BC Accra Sessions. And before that, we heard about the plight of Haitian radio on American airwaves from producer Ian Koss. In season two, Ian brings us the story of Haiti's fight for copyright through the experience of Haitian producer Power Surge. Be sure to subscribe to Afropop Worldwide on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts to hear that episode and the rest of the second season of the Afropop Close-Up Podcast. I am Josh Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. In the early 2000s, the hard-edged rhymes of grime tracks like this one, from legendary scene godfather Wiley, were a definitive part of the soundtrack of London. Emerging from the rough neighborhoods and public housing projects in the south and east of the city, grime combined the assertive swagger of hip-hop with the sound system improvisation of Jamaican dancehall, while still remaining a forward-thinking dance music, performed at enormous raves to thousands. To its fans, the genre seemed a remarkable accomplishment. Simultaneously street-tough and avant-garde, it was the sound of Britain's often marginalized black community taking a thrilling lyrical stand. Despite critical acclaim and a significant underground following, Grime never quite managed to transform its promise into widespread success. By 2007, the party was pretty much over. While some musicians never stopped pushing the sound, their records rarely made much impact beyond the faithful. Instead, top MCs gradually moved away, fitting their flows to mainstream dance beats. Grime seemed to be yet another great lost hope, an inventive style gone long before its time, the victim of record labels and a fickle public, its embers tended by the message boards of the true believers. And then something strange happened. Easy. Nah, nah, that's not me. Act like a waste man, that's not me. Sex any girl, nah, that's not me. Lips any girl, nah, that's not me. Yeah, I used to wear Gucci, I put it all in the bin, cause that's not me. True, I used to look like you, but dressing like a mess, nah, that's not me. It's the return of the Mac, I'm still alive just like Tupac. Girls in the front row, girls in the back. Spit one lyric, everybody's like, bruh. In 2016, Grime is not just back, but it's bigger than it ever was. Topping charts, attracting attention from the US, and reviving the black tracksuit as an iconic British look. More remarkable still is that, to a great extent, 
The musicians leading this revival are veterans of Grime's original heyday, finally finding commercial success with a style dismissed by the mainstream a decade ago. See me, I come from the roads. Bricks wanna try and put Skepta on hold, but no. Bad boy, I've been one of those. Wake up, cool, you will get one of those. One to the eyeball, one to the nose. I don't really care about your postcode. Take your girl, no dinner, no rolls. Two minutes in my bedroom, no clothes. Girls everywhere, girls in the club. Looking at me, trying to make a black man blush. Girls on the high street, girls on the bus. But these women wanna hang around us, that's us. I don't wanna see a stone island, cuz. Man talk, I just smile and flush. I'm looking for a girl with the X Factor, but I don't judge like Simon does. To find out how Grime returned, I spoke by Skype to journalist Dan Hancox. For me, there is one particular track that I think more than any other is instrumental in reviving Grime as a community of people, as a genre, and that is That's Not Me, the Skepta track with JME. Skepta went with Jammer, uh, one of the foundation producers as well as MCs, and they produced something that sounds like it's straight out of 2004. That was an unexpected turn of events. Everything for me stems from that one track. According to Dan, the sense of pride and affirmation embedded in That's Not Me are vital. The track is the sound of Skepta doing what he wants, the way he wants it. He had already been getting tired of the lifestyle and the sort of lack of sincerity in the, some of the pop music he was making, and that's the subject of the track, really, which is like, you know, actually, I've, I've, I've rediscovered what I'm about and I've rediscovered what makes me happy. And, oh, wow, it's making my fans happy as well. And I think that affirmation was really important to him. According to Jay Kush, a DJ on London's Rinse FM and the head of the Lit City Tracks label, a crucial part of the impact of That's Not Me was its use of a vintage grime beat, one that reflected the spare oddness that had always defined the style. In finding success with this long-abandoned sound, a style Jay traces to the minimal, synth-driven tracks that grime godfather Wiley called Esky Beat, That's Not Me served as validation for entire aesthetic and the scene that created it. Skepta revived that Esky sound with That's Not Me. Like, he made a Wiley track. And if you could make an Esky beat work in 2014 or whatever it was, like, that was a huge deal. That meant that the original grime sound, the sound that people had come off of, you know, was was now being accepted. It was like people had started to make, you know, trappy beats and try to be American, whatever, and because they were trying to find success. They wanted to continue to do music. A lot of people were doing that style of stuff. And, and yeah, they now seeing that success, of course, yeah, that got people realizing they could do that style again. In the wake of That's Not Me, the UK has seen a flood of returns to the original sound of grime, many from musicians who stopped rapping over this type of beat years ago. Let's hear something from Kano, another veteran star who's recently come back to grime after years in the pop wilderness. This is the Garage Skank Freestyle, a bonus track from his new album, Made in the Manor, an homage to the neighborhoods in which he was raised. Uh, let me get it one sec. There's an old girl them when a man down through stories. You can't introduce for them, them like me. Made in a manner, yeah, I'm from the east. 
Girl them sing, girl them sing. Box of the rose, Samson sing. Batman sing. Which man I wanna Batman sing? Must have been chesty. Absence Laying it down, laying it down. Come to your shoes and laying it down. Whack way wasted. Gas it out. Two gun fingers. Gary Skank. Pop quiz. Oh, put the S kick and S kim up. Shell down last like Temper Pro and still put in petrol at Texaco. Who put metaphors in his grind? Man like Shark and I did. Old school like Randy and them man did. Furthermore, Andrew and them man did. Crawford, man, a family with them man did. Little man sing with Ramsey and them man That's cool now. Old dudes. Evening standard of them man did. Pick up on a flight, Bambi and them man did. Now I floss like Lambie and them man if you ain't the Angie's by them man there Social man a anti by them man there Spider man a champs by them man there <laughs> Some man a pretend man Us man here don't party with them man One great goose and pack up with ten man I don't really throw that but if I do we can rule that Bring cool that so we can pull that Fooling like no we were fool that Tell a girl wife front Lama on the band Man a bedroom bully Shabba ranks Girl them sing that was the Garage Skank Freestyle by Kano. While no one ever doubted the talent or creativity of Grimes' first wave, it had always struggled to create music capable of attracting a wider audience while remaining true to its original style. Brilliant in the rave or on off-the-cuff radio sets, many of the scene's most promising MCs failed to ever release mixtapes, let alone consistent albums. I got a black ski mask, but I don't ski, but I snowboard, dash an MC off peace. If one of you try to violate me, you get a punch in the face of my front door key. Yes. Punch in the neck with my back door key. Yes. Box in the mat with my X6 key. Box in the eye with a fob I used to log into my HSBC talk. Armed by a decade of experience and the ease of distribution and control made possible by the internet, Grimes veterans seem intent on conquering this challenge. Once again, the scene is led by Skepta and his brother Jamie, both of whom have released unrepentant grime albums to chart-topping success. Kunichiwa, Skepta's latest, is a particular triumph, a swaggering set of tracks that expand on the spirit of That's Not Me. Dan explains. It exemplifies grime in its own way, Kunichiwa. It's exciting and thrilling because it's a grime album without any compromise. Just this determined self-confidence and resilience. <laughs> this, is, this is how we sound and this is how we make our music. Let's hear another track from Skepta's Kanichiwa. This is Man, which our engineer Mike points out samples heavily from Queens of the Stone Age. Huh? I don't know why man's calling me family all of a sudden. Like, hmm, my mum don't know your mum. Stop telling man you're my cousin. I've got day ones and I've got new ones. No fake ones. Trust no one. It's boy better know till I die trying to run up in the bank like Bonnie and Clyde. Cause man get money with a gang. Man get girls with a gang. Man eat food with a gang. Man talk slang to the feds. Can't work out what I just said to a man. Told me you was a big fan. But the first thing you said when you saw me is can I get a pick for the gram? I was like, nah, sorry man. I only socialise with the group and the gang. Whoa, guess who's back? Came a long way from sitting in the flats. Came a long way from when whites never used to mix with blacks. Now all my white music in my black mates, we got the game on smash. I used to rate your page on MySpace, but you never stayed on track. Upset because your wife is a fan. She done with a little boy, now she wants to be with a man. Told my accountant, do me a transfer because I want to buy some land. You and I have got different plans. Real madman, I might go say ands. No AAA pass, no wristbands. You are not man, them, you are not gang. If the grime revival was only about veterans returning to the sound of their youth, 
it would probably be fair to dismiss it as little more than a flash in the pan. However, alongside the return of artists like Skepta and Kano, the last two years have also seen the emergence of an entire cohort of young MCs. Mostly in their late teens, this is the first generation to have grown up alongside the music. Their full-blooded grime, as one DJ I spoke with called them. Among the best of these MCs is Stormzy, a 22-year-old with a thrillingly precise flow and a well-developed sense of his place in Grimes' musical history. Check out his breakthrough track, Know Me From, a statement of intent that also doubles as a shout-out to the greats of the previous generation. I was on the rolls when Dizzy made I love you. We'll talk about me, you better hashtag merch. Hashtag merch. Can't chat about speed like my cabman search. Shout out to my big bro Wiley, that's a bad man from early. Look, I'm a boss man like Birdie, I'm a bad man like Shirley. If Graham's dead, then how am I here? Big man like me with a beard, look, how am I scared? God's wrath is the only power man fear. Couple skank man and shower man here. Shower man down in my shower man gear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk about me, you better hashtag problem. Hashtag problem. Adidas creps, don't ask where I got them. Don't ask where they are, don't ask if I copped them. I go half of my team, I go half of my squad. Which gear roll he from? Which gear roll he from? I do not know this don. Where do you know me from? Out here like the road deep song, man, I'm trying to put my coldies on. According to Dan, MCs like Stormzy are what make this moment so exciting. Know Me From was the first track that really, really caught my attention from Stormzy. Um, he has a wicked sense of humour and a great flow and incredible charisma and he is he is perfectly positioned to be kind of grimes huge huge star i think you know he is musically versatile he's he's very keen on the idea of being musically versatile as well it's something that he said in an interview with me that he you know he wants to be the guy that can completely murk off a rave but then a guy who can also make a sort of more deep and reflective song and you know skepta is the guy that i think revived Grimes' fortunes in 2014 and onwards um, but it's Stormzy that is making it feel like more than just a revival but instead like something that is going to develop and change and have an impact beyond this sort of potentially just fleeting period of interest. Stormzy is far from the only promising MC in this young generation. Let's hear another track. This one is called Pengaling cut from the up-and-coming grime crew The Square. And just for reference, Pengaling refers to a particularly beautiful young woman. That chick, that girl is a pengaling. Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? And I might move to a friendling. Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? And I might move to a friendling. Not my girl, your girl. Make your girl my girl. Now she up in my world. Satellite elf is well. She wanna stay my girl. She'll now got one, two, two, three other girls. Mostly white females. So that's my type of females. Soul traps light and black and brown females. Yeah. 
It's yours and the next one Got two girls in the line, so I text one Buck one, up one, don't ever suck one Then the Jay-Z on to the next one Yeah, it's yours and the next one Got two girls in the line, so I text one Buck one, up one, don't ever suck one Then the Jay-Z on to the next one Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? And I might move to a friend of leg Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? Who's that chick, that girl is a pengaling? And I might move to a friend of leg I wanna draw that one Big breasts and big fat bum. Real talk, nah, I really want that one. I'ma take her to my room and then I tap one. Clap one, big bumper, I'll slap one. I'll unlock and I'll unlatch one. It could be a white ting or a lighting, or it might just be a long hair black one. On ends, there's best life. Quick thing, draw that just for the lash. Two young black boy girls get gassed and they inbox me chatting all that smack. So I go to the yard just for the mash. Lie down, just relax. Let me show them about them techers I have when I mash up the pum pum, she'll be gas. Who's that chick that girl is a pegaling? Who's that chick that girl is a pegaling? Who's that chick that girl is a MCs like Stormzy or groups like The Square seem to bode well for the future, but some still worry about the movement's vitality. Grimes' original wave had an incredible depth of talent and stylistic diversity, and some of these newer MCs, because they're focused on sounding grime in a way the veterans never were, are struggling to develop the same type of originality. Jay Kush fears that unless the music's new fans dig deeper, the revival might peter out. There's people who've been like putting on for the sound, you know, these cats are really, really important. And I think the story hasn't really been told that well. Everybody looks at grime as this like buzzword and it's like people don't really understand how deep the history and music goes and just like how many hundreds of producers there were making this sound at the time and how many different unique sounds there were within this thing that was called grime. And I think if that story gets told well, then it's gonna like have the potential to be around for a lot longer. And I think if people are just only hearing it from, you know, the case of a few, it doesn't seem as, as interesting and as diverse. That's actually something I worry about, is that like people aren't hearing some of the most amazing artists that there are. That seems fair. While a few top MCs are exploding in popularity, many of the genre's lesser-known greats, legends like DWE, FTSE, or Prince Rapid, have received far less attention. But for now, Grime enjoys a moment in the sun. This sound that was that was maligned, that was squeezed out of clubs by the police a lot of times, that this, that this is really essentially a return of the repressed, you know? That this was music that was either marginalized or criticized or physically shut out from existence, but implausibly, completely implausibly, it's back and it seems to be taking over the mainstream at this point. It's pretty remarkable. Wow, that's hot. That was Grime Wave from producer Sam Backer. Yeah, George, that's one of my favorite podcasts from season one. We're nearing the end of today's program, but before we go, we want to do something special. 
The first episode of season two is already available online. And just to make sure you go right now and subscribe to the podcast, we're going to hear an excerpt of Hades Fight for Copyright, a collaboration with the Life of the Law podcast from producer Ian Koss, right here on Afropop Worldwide. I grew up not too far from Shanmus, and Shanmus is where they have the national carnivals every year. And I remember growing up, I used to hear the floats going by from my house. The way it's set up, it's like a route. And along that route, you have multiple trucks loaded with speakers. And on each truck is a popular band. And I'm not gonna forget, there was one year, Sweet Mickey, our former Haitian president, he would wait until it's five or six in the morning for his float to go by. So he would make everyone stay on Shunmus and wait for him to come. And one year, as he was coming, there was a shootout and we had to run for our lives. I believe I was around eight or nine years old and I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was good times. So Carnival is kind of like a love story for me. And that's how I really got into production, period. Like my first love was for Carnival. This is Serge Tournier, also known as Power Serge. I'm a music producer, composer, author. And as a kid, Tournier says he never thought he'd be the one to write the songs that blasted out of those passing trucks. But just last year, he produced half a dozen Carnival songs, working with artists like Frappla, Trouble Boy, and even Wyclef Jean, probably the most internationally recognized artist of Haitian origin. But despite that success... Well, first of all, a musician is not even recognized as a real job here in Haiti. You're just nothing, really, in, in the eye of the law. Now, in my eyes, Power Surge looks the part of a big shot record producer. The first time I meet him in Port-au-Prince, he's wearing the same shade of maroon from the collar of his polo down to the laces on his sneakers, and his beard is sculpted to a sharp edge. He says he wants to show me something near the neighborhood where he grew up. So we climb into his car, silver Mercedes SUV. It looks real good from the outside. Inside, turns out there's car trouble. The AC is broken, which in Port-au-Prince in August is bad news. Tournier pulls over to mechanic shop. The air coming out of the vents is now slightly cooler, but AC or not, we have places to go. Okay, Pam, you too. I'm gonna go show you something. We're driving through that neighborhood where Tournier grew up, where the carnival trucks still pass by every year. This area right here is called Post-Marchon. As a sign of love and respect, they did a mural for me. There aren't many working stoplights in this part of Port-au-Prince, and the traffic is thick as the midday heat. Eventually, we break through and turn on a side street, lukewarm air still blasting from the dashboard, and then we're there. The mural covers the side of a two-story building. It shows a group of young hip-hop artists posing in a line. Above them, their producer, Power Surge, frames the whole scene, his two hands pointing straight out from the wall, confident. 
Is this the same guy who just told me he's ready to quit the music business because he can't make a living at it? Um, music is probably 10% of my income. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, you were you were just working with Wyclef John not long ago, and you can Wy- barely make 10% of your income in Wyclef, music. Wyclef paid me. Let's get that on, <laughs> on the record. <laughs> so I, mean, I just mean like that as an indicator of your success. I mean, right. the, you're a serious producer in the industry. And yet, it's that hard. Absolutely, absolutely. Every, it's so sad when I meet an upcoming producer and he's like so excited and so full of life and joie de vivre and he wants to make it and he's talking to me as somebody who made it and I'm just like, dude, I'm actually on my way out. Like, there's nothing. There's literally nothing in this industry that that's really keeping me from, you know, not quitting other than the passion. This is that song Power Surge produced last year for Wyclef John. So here he is, at the top of his field in Haiti, and yet at the same time on the verge of quitting the music business altogether. Thinking of moving to Florida, maybe even going back to school. And to understand why, we have to talk about copyright. We have to pause the story there for now. We're all out of time. If you want to hear the rest of Haiti's fight for copyright, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, that's it for today's program, Afropop Close-Up Podcast Special Number 1. But you can hear all the other fantastic episodes of Season 1, and follow Season 2 in real time by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or visit afropop.org. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Thanks to all the close-up producers for their hard work. Visit afropop.org for more. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Morgan Greenstreet, Sam Backer, and Ian Koss. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Stephanie Lebeau, Banning Air, and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Akornefa Achia. And I'm Georges Collinet. PRI Public Radio International